Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. There are some nights you never forget. Your wedding party, a milestone birthday, those times that bring all your friends and family together. Mark Stone wants to celebrate his 40th with a bang. He's the climber with the flashy shades, he looked kind of like one of us. He had kind of long hair and tattoos and piercings. That's his best friend, Jane. As it turns out, several of their eco-activist friends are turning 40 in 2009. So he suggests they hold one big joint party. It was called the 69ers party. Yep, they've called it the 69ers party because that's the year they were all born, 1969. Which also happens to be a year they admire for the counterculture and the protests that were going on across the West. Mark and the other 69ers, they find a big barn to rent in Herefordshire and they set up a bunch of tents and campervans in the grounds. It's huge. They can fit 350 people. There are activities in the daytime, a football game, an egg and spoon race and a mud wrestling contest. Then, in the evening, there's a Cayley and cabaret. And don't forget the food. There's lots of it supplied by their favourite caterers, the veggies and the anarchist teapot. It was like a mini festival, really, and Mark was really key in organising it. Like, he kind of drove the whole thing. Interestingly, they put up pictures of when they were all kids. So there were pictures of Mark when he was a kid there. Mark and some of the guests fancy themselves as amateur musicians and decide to build a small stage in a barn. It's the climax of the weekend, the showstopper. So they were all up on stage, Mark playing guitar, um, possibly even singing at some point. They're wearing matching outfits, black tees and trilby hats, and performing covers from The Clash, Sex Pistols, and Mark's choice, Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash. Everyone was just loving it. I think there was stage diving. There's loads to drink, people dancing. Yeah, it was just a fantastic, brilliant party. After all that buzz, you'd think Mark would be riding high. But for some reason that nobody quite understands, he goes to bed really early. Then the next day, he refuses to leave his camper van. 
Everyone's milling around, nursing hangovers. But as morning turns to afternoon, he still doesn't appear. And people ask... What's wrong with Mark? He seems to be in a bit of a bad way. Eventually, his friends find him in the van. He's hyperventilating. He seems to be having a panic attack. It appeared like he was having a breakdown. I think I remember those words being used. And Lisa, his girlfriend, is worried. Very worried. And I think it's only that. In the days and weeks that follow, Mark's behaviour becomes even more unpredictable. And then that depression kind of quite quickly led into real serious paranoia that I found very frightening. He's unstable and erratic. He was kind of spinning a bit more out of control and that was the first clue that there was something really wrong. She can't put her finger on it, but she has a feeling there could be something else going on with Mark. And I had suspicions that there was something and, and that I would find some secrets out about him. I, I never for a moment thought that it would be what it actually turned out to be. I'm Cara McGugan and this is Bed of Lies. Episode 2, Secrecy. I want to back up a bit. In the last episode, we met four couples. They're getting together, falling in love, going on protests. Some in the 90s, others in the early noughties. These men have fast established themselves in the women's lives. And by now, they've been together for a long time, some of them years. They share friends, live together. The women are in love, thrilled to have found their soulmate. But is there something we've missed about these men? What do the women actually know about their partners? That's exactly the question going through Alison's mind when we left her at the end of the last episode. She found something deeply concerning. Remember... An object that's three and a half by two inches, the one we've been waiting to hear about. So what is it? I found a bank card, a NatWest bank card, in the name of M.S. Jenner. What's going on? His name is Cassidy, but his card says Jenner. Alison's never heard that name before. She doesn't know what to think. Imagine how you'd feel if you found that card. The sickness in the pit of your stomach, confusion and panic mixing together. There's a lot running through Alison's head. Mark's been acting weird. Is he having an affair? Maybe he's embroiled in something serious. Has he broken the law? Then he comes home and Alison confronts him. What the fuck is this? What is this? He went white. He'd obviously been caught out at something. And what does Mark say? Put his hands on his head and said, I can't believe I've been so stupid. He was in shock. I want to freeze there. He's about to explain himself. And she's going to believe him. Because the thing is, she doesn't really know much about this man. Not really. Not when it comes down to it. Even though they've been together two years. And the same goes for all these women. None of them know very much about their boyfriends. Maybe we should start with what they do know. For one, they're all quite hands-on. Carlo Neri, the Italian who took Lindsay to Venice, well, he's a locksmith, 
he was given access to the keys of many of our comrades because he was a locksmith. And so he changed people's locks on their houses. He changed people's locks on their cars. Mark Stone, meanwhile, the climber, well, he's a rope access technician. That means he climbs buildings for repairs and inspection, a bit like the window cleaners you see up skyscrapers. He goes away for weeks on end to work on site. And Mark Cassidy? Well, he's a joiner, or carpenter, to you and me. Yeah, he had a bag of tools. And he put our kitchen in. Alison finds it pretty useful to have a handyman around. It took him eight months, but he did manage to build a whole new kitchen. So this kitchen, as you see it now, is now um, 1997. Remember how Alison films everything with her new video camera? Well, she's got a video of Mark installing it. I'm going to do this. I'll do this for a living, I'll see viewers. I can renew... I can renew this kitchen. Who do you think the I viewers make... are that are going to watch this exactly? Well, I don't like to name names. Been lots so these guys are great to have around. They can build a kitchen or fit a lock. But I'm going to go off piste for a minute because it seems like the right time to talk to you about something important. Vans. It might sound a bit random, but stay with me. Vans are a thing in Britain, aren't they? Those lumbering vehicles barrelling down the inside lane of the motorway. They're the backbone of the British economy. And the drivers of vans, well, they conjure an image of a certain type of guy. He's resourceful, down to earth and helpful. If you've got a problem at home, he'll solve it. Want a lift? He's happy to take you. But why am I going on about vans? The funny thing is, all the boyfriends in this story have one. He had a, a work van. He had a red van, like an old post office van with uh, seats and curtains in the back. He was always borrowing a van off his ankle. He would drive people to demonstrations. And he'd said to them, is there anything I can do? I've got a van. Could I help transport some stuff? He put it up everyone's disposal. Generous with offering lifts. Wanted to be helpful. That's what made him such an indispensable member of that group. Yeah, fitted in very quickly. I can remember one particular time there was a... Um, it was a raid on a battery farm. That's Jessica. We haven't really heard from her before. She's an animal rights activist. Rescuing chickens from, um, like, poorling conditions in a battery farm. Her boyfriend's called and, Andy. Yes, Andy Van. That was how everybody knew him. Yep, you heard that right. They even call him Andy Van. Jessica and Andy are our fifth couple. Without Andy, she feels like she would have missed out on quite a bit. Yeah, there's, you know, there's things that I don't think would have happened if it hadn't have been at his instigation. We were quite a disorganised bunch, missing, like, demonstrations because we'd turned up late and all sorts of things like that. So, you know, we weren't, we weren't this, um, you know, this sort of this military-style um, group that, you know, that you would think that we were. And he's organised. He's efficient. He gets things done. Just like all the boyfriends we're talking about, Soon enough, they go from being rookies to respected members of their groups. 
and they're becoming more and more involved. Take Mark Stone, the climber. He's making a name for himself as an ambitious campaigner. Within two years of his arrival in Nottingham, he and his friend Jane are planning a big protest at the G8 summit in Scotland. They're going to block the roads around the Glen Eagles Hotel and try to stop the likes of Tony Blair and George Bush from arriving. Before long, Mark's travelling all over Europe, meeting groups, joining protests. He goes to Ireland, Germany, Spain, France, even New York. Friends know him as the guy with hundreds of contacts. He was seen as a bit of a kind of a linchpin in some ways, that he was a connection between activists. You know, he would bring back news from activists in Berlin when, you know, back to Nottingham, and he was quite a big networker. Then there's Mark Cassidy, the guy from Birkenhead. He's a rank-and-file trade unionist. He's often on the picket line, and things can get hairy out there. One time, he crosses the line to face up to a guy on a motorbike who's brandishing a heavy chain. Another time, he's on the ITN Evening News. I was very proud of him in Dover, yeah, I think in 96. he was Shouting at the National Front. I've still got the footage of that. After only a few minutes, they were confronted by a small group of anti-racist protesters determined to block their path. Yeah, he's, he's on film, he's on the news, looking very hard. A couple of fireworks were thrown at the National Front. In time, he gets involved with Red Action. They're known for their violent confrontations with the far right and they have links with Irish republicanism. One year, Mark takes Alison and their friends to West Belfast. He says he wants to learn more about policing in Northern Ireland. I don't think I would have gone on a, a delegation to West Belfast if my boyfriend hadn't been driving the van that took us all there. There's that van cropping up again. So you get an idea of the sorts of things they're up to. They seem to care deeply about the issues they're campaigning for. This isn't to paint them as hot-headed, though. Really, they're quite sensitive guys. And when you find out the sorts of things they've been through, you'll understand why. More on that after the break. Hi, I'm Martin Evans. I'm The Telegraph's crime correspondent, which means I spend my working life covering stories about some of the darkest aspects of our society. Death, destruction, murder, they're all on my daily beat. It also means I've followed closely the shocking revelations regarding the women unintentionally at the heart of one of the biggest scandals in recent British history, the women that you'll hear about in this podcast. But journalism like this takes time, and time, as we all know, means money. And we can't tell important stories like this without the support of our subscribers. So if you'd like to support what we're doing and to read, watch and listen to our huge range of journalism, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash lies podcast where you can get 30 days free access to The Telegraph online. And after that, it's just £2 a week. That's telegraph.co.uk forward slash lies podcast or click on the link in the show notes to this episode. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There comes a time in every relationship when you need to confide in one another, to tell those deep secrets you don't share with just anyone. We all have a past, and sometimes it's painful. Sharing these things can be tough, but it can also bring you closer, give you a sense of intimacy and trust for one another. A few months after they meet, Jim and Rosa decide that moment has come. They're the ones in Reclaim the Streets. He likes her use of coriander. He sits her down, cross-legged on the floor. They're holding hands. And he says he's going to tell her a secret. And I thought, mm, yeah, OK, a, a little bit hippy-dippy for me. But, you know, first fair, he's trying, to, he's trying to do the feeling thing and that might be quite hard for him. So, so she humours him and she listens as he tells her he was adopted. Um, it's really difficult for him. And he pulls out a photograph of a young boy that he says is him, and he's in a cardboard box. And he says... But that was just after I arrived with my parents. I guess it, I felt safe in there. He's overcome with emotion, and he cries in her arms. Then there's Birkenhead Mark. Soon after he meets Alison, he tells her something intensely personal about his family. His dad was killed by a drunken driver when he was eight years old. His mother remarried a bloke that he didn't like. And his grandma had sort of brought him up and he loved her, but she had died two years previously. They're incredibly sad stories. Heart-wrenching, in fact. He showed me pictures of a really young boy. Must have been... 18 months, two years old at the time, and said this was his son from a previous uh, relationship and he was estranged from this son. His adopted father had beaten him up and that's why he was estranged from their mother. So he was virtually estranged from his mum. He always said that he was slightly estranged from his family. That word, estranged, it comes up quite a bit. And if your boyfriend's distant from his family... There's one thing it guarantees. You're probably never going to meet them. Complicated stories like these can also shut down further questions. It's painful to bring them up, so the women don't pry too much. All they feel is empathy. After all, there's no reason for their boyfriend to lie, is there? But when there is a bit of emotional baggage, it's not uncommon for it to spill over now and again. So when Alison and Mark start to argue, she decides they finally need to confront his troubled past. 
Alison never dreamt of getting married or having children, but in her early 30s, she finds herself in this very settled relationship with Mark. They've been together for three years. We had a flat with a, a second bedroom. We had joint income coming in. Um, we had a future. As far as I was concerned, we had a future together. And surely children was one of the options, one of the things that we would be talking about. And he... She looks at friends having their first babies and thinks, maybe I do want children. But he's not so keen. He said it would be throwing the towel in, you know, and he wasn't ready for that yet. So he would block it. Well, not block it even, he'd just put it off. He'd just say, not really, not now, yeah, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Alison's a bit worried about their future. For some reason, Mark isn't allaying her fears. If only he'd at least turn around and say... I absolutely don't want children, but I think we should buy a, you know, a mobile home and go travelling around America for five years. That might reassure her. They'd have a plan. But he isn't saying any of that. And it was the fact that he came up with nothing as an alternative um, and because of this kind of, you know, difficult backstory that he had, I said, we need counselling. So she arranges for them to go to marriage guidance. With Relate. Mark doesn't really like the idea, but she's determined. I remember dragging him at one point. I mean, probably the first first time we went, I remember really, we went by train and literally, I mean, he's a big bloke, and pulling him, which he really didn't like. He didn't want to be handled at all. Um, and really, he along Seven Sisters Road, and he stomped back, said, I'm not doing it, and I made him somehow. Every week, for a year and a half, they go to counselling. But sometimes it feels as if he's just coming up with any old excuse to prevent them from reaching a decision about having kids. At one point, he said his father had been epileptic and he was worried that it might be a gene and he'd have a, something like that. You know, he couldn't explain why he, why he was so blocked on this. At the beginning of the relationship counselling, they said, you know, with this counselling, it's always a way to work out whether you can resolve your issues or whether you will break up. And I'd always seen it as a way that we would resolve our issues. Now, one of those unresolved issues is the discovery of that credit card, the one in the name of M. Jenner. I want to go back to that story because I haven't told you what Mark tells Alison when she confronts him. And what happens next is important, but not in the way you think. To recap... So you found a card with MS Jenner on it, but his name is Mark Cassidy, and that's your long-term partner. So when he comes home, are you holding the card and sort of brandishing it at him? Yeah, yeah. Mark has gone pale. He's in shock, as if he's been found out for something. So what does he tell her about the card? Well, he says he can't believe he's been so stupid. But I, it was stolen, that he'd bought it from a, a bloke in a pub and it was cheap, but he'd used it twice to pay for petrol and that I must never tell anyone. And he persuaded me that it was so embarrassing for him to be presented as, like, a common thief. And he begs her... Please, please, would I just get rid, we'd get rid of it and he would never do anything like that again, but please, I must never tell anyone because he's so embarrassed. And so you agreed to destroy it with him? Yeah, I cut it up. She cuts it up, bins it, 
as if the whole thing has never happened. And Mark buys her a bunch of flowers to say sorry. But there is something she hasn't told Mark. Before he got home, Alison wrote down the name Jenna on a piece of paper and hid it at the back of a drawer. What we're hearing are subtle clues that things might not be as they seem. Places where the mask slips and the truth flashes into view just for a second. But we've got a little bit to go before the women work out what's really going on. Cast your mind back to the beginning of this episode. Something strange is happening with Mark, the climber, after his 40th birthday party, the 69ers festival. He's having a panic attack and Lisa's concerned. She thinks back on everything that's happened in the months leading up to that night. What's got into him? Understanding what's changed is vital for what comes next. It all starts with one of the most daring actions the Nottingham eco-activists have ever planned. It's spring 2009, and they want to shut down a power station. This is more than blocking the roads outside or locking themselves onto a fence. It involves trespassing onto private property, pressing the emergency button on the station's machinery, and then climbing onto its cooling towers. There are over 100 people involved. It could be Britain's most high-profile campaign against global warming. And the target is Ratcliffe on Saw a hulking coal-fired power station between Nottingham and Derby. For miles across the flat plains out there, all you can see is its eight cooling towers belching out smoke, each one 100 metres tall or so. It's a blot on the East Midlands landscape and it's recognisable to anyone who's passed by. Mark and his friends have targeted power stations before. Earlier that year, they took over a coal train heading for another one, Drax. But this is huge. It's going to require a lot of effort to pull it off. So what's their plan? People would climb the chimney. One of those people was going to be Mark. Um, climb the chimneys and... They spent months putting this plan together, holding meetings in secret, writing to one another in code. And now it's in place. They're going to set off at 3am. There are colour-coded teams with decoys to distract power station workers. Mark will drive the black team. They'll shut down the power station's main conveyor belt, then latch onto its machines. They're ready to go. But it never even gets off the ground. I remember waking up the morning of, of when the action should be happening and hearing helicopters circling. Their arrests had always been controversial. 114 climate change protesters held after what Nottinghamshire police called a preemptive raid. They don't just arrest the protesters, they also have warrants to go to their homes to look for evidence. When Jane tells Mark the police have raided his home, he loses it. He was really angry and he was like, my house? How do they go in my house for? Mark's distressed and he rings his girlfriend, Lisa. 
and he describes kind of coming in and seeing all the photographs of me on the floor and that really upsetting him and a picture of his brother that had, that had broken and that really upsetting him. And he seemed really outraged. The campaigners are released on bail with legal cases hanging over their heads. 26 of them in total will be charged with conspiracy to commit aggravated trespass. So it's against this backdrop that Mark plans the 69ers party. He wants to lift everyone's spirits after all the stress they've been through in recent months. But he doesn't manage to distract himself. The police raid, it's really got to him. And it felt to me a bit like he was coming apart from the strain. And as the weeks pass, his mood only worsens. He's paranoid and jumpy. What is going on? There is one thing on everyone's minds in all of this. A nagging doubt that won't go away. They'd planned the raid with the utmost secrecy. So how on earth did the police know about it? And it wasn't the first time that a protest had been foiled. Plans kept coming unstuck, police kept arriving, and there seemed to be leaks going on. And the same thought crosses all their minds. Could there be a mole? Next time on Bed of Lies. Cracks will soon start to appear. Past traumas will catch up and relatives fall sick. Then, one by one, the men will vanish. I came home from work and I realised immediately that he'd gone. Everything's gone. Every trace of him has gone. Bed of Lies is written by me, Cara McGugan, and produced by Sarah Peters at Tuning Fork Productions. The executive producer is Theodora Leludis, and sound designs by Peregrine Andrews. To stay on top of who's who in our story, to see exclusive pictures of the men involved, and to look inside my reporter's notebook, go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash bed of lies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.